Home for All podcast listeners. I'm your ACAR Communications Director, Kelly Moss, and I'm back here behind the mic with an extra special bonus episode. You heard that right. We're doing some extra bonus episodes over the next few weeks, and we hope that each and every one of them brings you a nugget of information that you can use in your business or your everyday life. So today's extra special guest is Professor Rob Salem. Professor Salem is the Associate Dean for Diversity and Inclusion and Clinical Professor of Law at the University of Toledo. Mr. Salem teaches clinical courses that provide students with the skills necessary to successfully practice law while advancing the law school's social justice mission. He also works with students on several policy and law reform projects locally and statewide. The projects have addressed issues such as bullying prevention, prisoner reentry, elder law, LGBTQ rights, delivery of criminal defense, and statutory amendments where students are given the opportunity to critique the law and work for reform through education, direct representation, and advocacy before legislative bodies. The conversation is going to be incredible and enlightening. So like we always say, grab your coffee and your earbuds and make this spot your home for the next 30 or so minutes. We're happy that you're here. Our Home for All podcast is a bi-weekly production where we will host interviews, facilitate conversations, and talk about what's happening in the world of real estate. We'll introduce you to the important people in your community and help you learn how to grow your real estate-related business. This is an adult show and some adult language might occasionally creep into the conversation. So let's move forward and find out what makes Northeast Ohio the best home for all. So as I mentioned in the opener, today we're sitting down with Professor Rob Salem from the University of Toledo. Welcome, Rob, and thank you for joining me today. Um, let's start off by having you introduce yourself to our listeners and tell them a little bit about you and what you do on the day-to-day. Okay, well, I'm really honored to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Absolutely. Um, like you said, my name is Rob Salem. I'm a clinical professor of law at the University of Toledo College of Law, where I also serve as associate dean for diversity and inclusion. Excellent. On a day-to-day basis, I teach. My teaching involves um, clinical education, which means that we have real clients that I bring into the law school um, for my students to represent under my supervision. So they learn by doing, which I think is the best way to learn, of course. I love that. Right, right. And it should be more common. Unfortunately, it's still an elective in most law schools, but I think it's the best way to learn and not only does it provide students with the skill sets they need to practice law, but it provides them, I think, with um, an exposure to client communities, client needs, the empathy that's required to be a good lawyer, all the soft skills. So I love it. Which is incredible. And you get to work with a bunch of young people, which is always fun. Always. And they, they keep you young, right? <laughs> I, I do my best. Yeah. <laughs> So, so that's the law school portion of it. Tell me about being the dean of diver- or for diversity and inclusion. How 
how does that affect your day to day with school and, and teaching? Mm-hmm. So that's an administrative role. And in that role, I work with the dean and the faculty to to really focus on our diversity and equity and inclusion plan, our strategy for ensuring not just a diverse student population, but also a diverse student population that feels welcome and a sense of belonging. We want our students to to feel um, like they like they belong. To feel like you know this is a place where they can thrive, regardless of their background, their culture, their skin color, their religion, right. their perspective on things, their sexual orientation. So you know we're we're taking it we take it very seriously, and um, we, we've just engaged in um, we're currently engaging in a strategic plan that is going to, I think, help us um, aspire to to be even a more diverse and a better school. That's incredible. You know, it's it's interesting that you said you're working on your strategic plan that, that will incorporate that. Our current strategic plan here at ACAR has an entire section devoted to DE&I, which is, to me, that is just it's amazing. I mm-hmm. love that 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 came out of all of those meetings that we're actually, you know, moving into that and and, and just making sure that everyone feels like they belong when and, they come in the door. And really, that's a relatively recent phenomenon that organizations are talking about DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion, sometimes for the first time. And yeah. it's now the norm in most organizations and corporations. Um you know, 20 years ago, we weren't talking about this no. subject. No, not at all. Not at all. And and then those are changes that I feel like, you know, needed to happen. They absolutely, they absolutely needed to happen. Today, we're going to talk about cultural competency. And um, for the listeners, Rob just came over into the studio after teaching a, a two-hour class on this exact same subject across the hall here at ACAR. So I'm very grateful to you that you had time, a little extra time to spend with us today to give us a little bonus episode for the podcast. So let's talk about what uh, what cultural competency actually means. I mean, I know that it encompasses like our attitudes and our awareness and, and all of that, but what does it mean to understand our own unconscious biases? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. And the answer is complicated because cultural competency is, you know, I think there's a a fallacy that somebody could become culturally competent. And I would argue that we are always or we should be aspiring to become as culturally competent as possible, but we're never going to be perfect as individuals. It's, you know, our brains aren't going to be able to to take in all the information that we need to be competent in every single way um, in order to make people feel welcome and comfortable. What cultural competency is, is, you know, an awareness, first of all, a self-awareness of our own privilege, our own barriers sometimes, um, our own biases, sometimes explicit biases, sometimes implicit biases. Sure. Um, That's the first step to being culturally competent, is knowing ourselves as much as possible. 
The next stage of cultural competence is then to um, try to recognize ourselves and our biases when dealing with other people so that we are incorporating best practices in making sure that we're seeing individuals as individuals. We're not stereotyping. We're not generalizing. We're making sure that people feel comfortable, um, that they're free to express themselves and identify in whatever way they want to express and identify, and that they're really integrated in the fabric of whatever organization we're involved in. So, so I guess in a nutshell, it's knowing ourselves first. Sure. And then knowing, you know, how um, we can treat other people with respect and sensitivity and an awareness that makes them feel comfortable and welcome. I love that answer. Um, you know, I think, you know, we talk about being just being a good human. I think it goes beyond that. I think I think we all need to take a little bit of a step back and look at ourselves and see where we can improve. Because like you said, there's never going to be we're never going to reach that pinnacle of, of being completely culturally uh, competent. But because I feel like there's there's always room for improvement no matter what. Exactly. Because we're just we're human beings. We're you know, we have our faults. Right. So um, but so I love the idea that it's that it's an ever changing, ever improving situation mm-hmm. that we can all get better at. Mm-hmm. So lifelong learning. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. Absolutely. So so can you t- I guess maybe let's step back and think about what causes a bias to exist and 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 then i guess again what causes certain biases to continue to be perpetuated okay. on and on and on in our culture i mean because there are biases that exist today that have been here for hundreds of years mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it doesn't seem like that's getting any better in in some situations in some right yeah. so i think the first thing to sort of consider is that humans are hardwired to be biased. Um, And we, over the course of years, and this is evolutionary, we tend to stick with our own kind. It's sort of a natural tendency. We're almost hardwired to do that. Um, And we're, we're hardwired to have biases because of heuristics, these shortcuts, these mental psychological shortcuts we take to make our lives easier, to make decision-making easier. So what we do is we, we have these rules that are, that are ingrained in our minds that we just incorporate in our lives that sometimes are the result of bias um, because it's easier to function as a human being when we don't have to analyze every single situation very deeply for all the nuances. Um, So it is what it is. I mean, let's recognize that everyone has implicit bias. Everyone does. The trick now is to try to recognize what your biases are, try to um, come to terms with them, and, and then try to do something about it. There are interventions that you can incorporate, you can use to try to overcome some biases. But it's hard work. It takes lifelong learning. It takes some real humility. You got to recognize that, you know, when people say, oh, I'm not 
a racist or I'm not biased in any way, you know, I'm going to be skeptical because, you know, I think most of us are. And in fact, um, so you asked where these biases come from. Not only is it evolutionary, not only is it sort of hardwired, but our culture perpetuates it. When you look at media, um, when you look at just our pop culture, when you look at the messages that are conveyed explicitly and implicitly, right? it's not real difficult to understand where our biases come from. And, um, you know, I look at local news, for instance, local news stations. I, I don't watch local news. I'm sorry, because I just think, not you know, <laughs> I feel, I almost feel like it's, you know, it just kind of um, plays to some of, some of our most base instincts. And, and I don't see the need to perpetuate some of these stereotypes that are so needlessly perpetuated by by some news news outlets. Um, and I think that those messages are out there all the time and our kids see them, yep. we see them. Um, I would recommend, you know, people take the IAT, the Implicit Association Test, which is an online implicit bias test that um, you can Google by just Googling Implicit Association Test Harvard University because it's administered, created by Harvard. And it's fascinating to take the test. It's free. You can, it takes about 20 minutes or half an hour to take one test. Um, you will learn a lot about yourself by doing this. And I think, again, that's the first step is realizing that, that we all have these biases. I think too, your, your, you know, um, your family upbringing tends to, you know, cast some light onto that too, because you know, you, you know, what, what has been, you know, your whole life growing up and, mm -hmm. and parents and grandparents and great grandparents and all that, they've all had, um, an influence on your upbringing mm -hmm. in some way, shape, manner, or form, be it good or bad. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think we all need to get back to that human level where everybody should be belong no matter what. Because it, I feel like it's the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do. It's the moral thing to do. But also, you know, I think that if you're in um, business, if you're a service provider, if you're running an organization, it's also the smart thing to do. Absolutely. Because diversity really creates an environment for better decision making, better services. Yep. The research is clear on that. If you have a diverse workplace where people feel welcome and part of the fabric of the organization, um, you're going to make better decisions. Because if you're, conversely, if you're, you know, just um, an organization with one kind of person, if everybody in your organization comes from the same background, looks the same, uh, groupthink will take over and yep. your perspectives are going to be very limited. The creative juices are not going to be as flowing as they would be with a diverse workforce. And so your decisions tend to be less creative. They tend to be less useful. Yep. Um, so diversity is not just the right thing. It's not just the moral thing. It's also the smart thing for organizations. I agree. And, you know, um, our National Association of Realtors, um, for those realtors that are listening, um, there are a couple different uh, things that you can 
access through NAR. Um, there is the Fairhaven simulation on NAR's website um, that you can walk through that that will ta- that talks about inclusion and diversity and equity and all of that. Um, and then there's we there's the at home with diversity um, designation that you can get. Um, I'm happy and and pleased to tell tell you Rob that everyone here in the in the ACAR office we all have that des- designation. We've all gone through that training. Um, and I think that as a as a group that was very important uh, to um, Sandy and when she was here and to Mike, uh, our CEO, to make sure that we all went through that so that that we're making better, better decisions and we're, we're being better humans. That's wonderful. So um, so let's talk about um, let's talk a little bit about stereotyping. Mm-hmm. OK, how does the fact that that we have this this, I guess, lack of knowledge about different societal groups how does that influence our perception of others when when we're looking at a group of people? Mm-hmm. I, I would love to be able to say that, you know, my brain is perfect and does mm-hmm. not do that. But like you had said before, we all have that, you know, kind mm-hmm. of it, uh, in our brain anyway. So mm-hmm. how does how does that influence our perception of other people when we're talking about stereotyping? Yeah, well, we all stereotype. We, we again, that's part of implicit bias. Um, fortunately, I think that most of us have moved, you know, in today's world, you don't see explicit stereotyping, explicit racism or explicit bigotry as much as we did, let's say, during the Jim Crow era. Sure. Um, but but now it's more implicit and our stereotypes, our perspectives, our views may may be influenced by our by our implicit bias we may think we're doing the right thing we may think that we are fair and just and we pride ourselves on not being racist or bigoted in any way but that doesn't mean that our actions don't somehow convey our biases in certain situations um and you know that is and stereotypes play a large role in that. Stereotypes are part of our implicit bias. So stereotypes are just a heuristic. You know, they're again a shortcut, a mental shortcut we take right. um, to to make our lives easier. Um, it's easier to navigate life when we think that things are simple, things are black or white. Yeah. And this group is this, that group is that. Um, it makes it easier to navigate life. So that's where we start, you know. And you can understand why humans develop that way because survive. It's a survival instinct. Sure. You know, we, um, you know, I would argue that our ancestors probably needed to stereotype in order to survive. Unfortunately, it's not necessary anymore. Right. And we have the tools to overcome stereotyping. So. You know, I would say that, you know, again, recognizing our biases, our implicit biases, if we know that we harbor stereotypes, the best thing to do after awareness is to do the best we can to educate ourselves and to um, make as many contacts as we can in the groups that, you know, represent the stereotypes that we're talking about. Right. So if if I feel like I'm biased or if I recognize, if I have an awareness that maybe I'm biased toward um, a certain population um, and I need to work on it, I'm going to do my best to get out there 
and try to make connections to those organizations. I'm going to read about those cultures, subcultures sometimes, sure. so that I can understand as much as possible. I'm going to do my best to become more competent about it. Will I ever be perfect? No. Nope. <laughs> and it's, it's hard work, but it's the only way you can overcome um, stereotypes. And it's also, I think, important to you know, explore other ways of, of overcoming your stereotypes. Like consider, consider alternatives for why people behave the way they do. If we step back and take it slowly and not just make rash decisions and, you know, attribute people's behaviors to stereotypes, we can find, we'll, we'll find that a lot of times people are behaving the way they do because of other factors, other influences in their lives. So I used this example in the class just a couple hours ago. Um, you know, when I have students represent um, a black woman, for instance, a young single black mother who um, has four children at home, who has two jobs, who has unreliable transportation, who lives in a city in to like Toledo, which doesn't have great mass transit, um, and she's late for an appointment. Sometimes I'll hear my students complain and roll their eyes and say, there she goes again, late for another appointment. So I will often have a teaching moment about it and say, look, think about all the alternative reasons why she might be late. Right. Okay. Now, I know what's going on in their minds is maybe some implicit bias. Sure. About African-Americans. And I try to dispel that by saying, think about how it would be if you had four kids under the age of 12 at home. Yep. And you're juggling two jobs. You're tired. Um, your car is not functioning. You know, the bus schedule isn't cooperating and you just want to do the best you can and you run out of the house late because your children needed something. Okay, you're going to be late. Yeah. It's okay. Now, that's not to excuse tardiness on all occasions. Oh, no, no. But no. it's also to, to consider alternative reasons for people's behaviors. Right. Okay. And avoid and really just intentionally tell yourself, oh, I I might be stereotyping here. I'm going to step back and think about other reasons to rationalize or explain away this behavior. See, I, I love that, that you use that as a teaching moment for people to look at the opposite side and to put themselves in someone else's shoes for five minutes mm -hmm. and say, you know what, this person is, is you know, perhaps being a mom mm -hmm. and and trying to execute being a mom the best way that 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 she knew how that she mm -hmm. knows how and because of that maybe she's going to be 5 minutes late and if that's the case then you know what in many cases there is a, there's a, a valid reason for that right a lot of us could um I think a lot of us could uh, benefit from putting our our feet in another person's shoes and saying you know what Maybe I need to think about this absolutely. for a Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, and also, you know, since I'm talking to somebody in the real estate world, I think it's important, and this is related, it's important to consider, you know, the history here and why there are these stereotypes involving certain communities. Um, when you look at our history of redlining, oh, when you look at our history yeah. with the federal government, you know, in the 1930s, basically... Um, 
you know, mapped these cities and said, people like homes, people who are living in these particular neighborhoods that are coded red, redlined, are not going to be eligible for federally insured loans. And, you know, they encouraged white flight from these neighborhoods and they they basically caused a situation where there was mass disinvestment from these neighborhoods. So people that were stuck in these neighborhoods didn't have good access to health care, didn't have good have didn't have good access to nutritious foods because there are no grocery stores, no access to quality education or very little access to quality education, um, bad infrastructure. And so then, you know, we make it almost impossible for people to break out of that cycle of poverty. Yep. And and then so some of our stereotypes come from from the historic from the, from our history, you sure. know, there are historical contexts that we just sometimes forget. So, you know, we need to acknowledge our role in this everyone we're all part of this we're all part of the problem and we're all part of the solution right and until everybody understands that there's still going to be issues out there absolutely unfortunately um so i know that as our realtors are out there working in the trenches and and showing homes and selling homes and that they you know they meet new people every single day what what would you recommend what kind of steps would you recommend i guess that we each put in place to ensure that we're doing our best to overcome our biases and to not perpetuate stereotyping. Um, because, you know, as a realtor out there, they, they work, our realtors work with a multitude of different people, different socioeconomic levels, uh, different cultures, different, different everything. How, what steps can they put in place to help them be better at what they're mm-hmm. doing versus falling mm-hmm. into those old habits? Mm-hmm. Yeah, great question. Um, I think in some cases, you know, r- real estate firms can help by, if they haven't already done so, implementing protocols, policies, having trainings like the one I just did, you know. On an institutional level, I think more of that should be happening. Um, On an individual level, I think, again, being aware that you might be biased in a way that's implicit, that you're not aware of, might be the first step. Um, It's really important to understand that you might behave in a way with certain customers or clients that you that you don't intend to be offensive. So before saying I would never treat a black couple or a black family any differently from a white couple or a white family, um, really acknowledge to yourself that it's possible you might because because it just happens and guard against it guard against it. So so think about, you know, make sure, for instance, you don't make assumptions about people. Like, don't assume that a black family is going to be uncomfortable in a white neighborhood. Don't make the suggestion that they might want to look for a house in another neighborhood because they might be more comfortable there. Don't suggest to a white family that they might not be comfortable in this neighborhood because it's diverse or predominantly black. Don't make assumptions that people want what you may want subconsciously or even 
consciously. Um, that's something that sounds simple, sounds like common sense, but we forget about it. Yep. We forget. Yeah, it sits in the back of your brain sometimes and you don't even realize that, you know, you're mm -hmm. not even thinking about what you're doing when you're doing it. And, and um, you know, that's where, you know, I had mentioned Fairhaven earlier, uh, that that is a big thing with that Fairhaven simulation that you talk, you know, it, it, it teaches about not steering and not, mm -hmm. you know, you know, not assuming that someone wants to be somewhere or assuming that they don't want to be somewhere. So it's, it's really interesting. And we will, we're going to link all of that. We'll link Fairhaven and at home with diversity and the uh, website that you talked about for the, the test. We'll link all of that in the show notes um, for anybody that's interested in, in taking a look at that. So, so Rob, I have one final question for you. Okay. And we ask this question to everyone who guests on the podcast, since this is the Home for All podcast and Home for All is kind of our our social movement here at ACAR. It is an umbrella uh, under which we operate and, and want folks to have everyone to have equal access to all housing. Mm -hmm. um, so what what does Home for All mean to you personally when mm -hmm. somebody says that to you? Mm -hmm. What does that mean to you? Mm -hmm. Wow. That's a deep, profound <laughs> question. I, I never said the questions yeah. wouldn't be hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and I, I think I think of the synonym, or maybe not the synonym, but the metaphor just of happiness. So I think that's basically what most of us are striving for in life, regardless of our background. We are all striving for happiness. What are the components of happiness? Security, love, affection, friendship, comfort. Those are all components of happiness. I can't think of many things that are more important than your home. You know, where you live, where you set, set your roots, where you settle. So I think... Wow, this is such important work. I think of a home for all as, you know, making sure that people are where they're happy, where they're comfortable, and where they can thrive. Wow. Well said. Well said. <laughs> so would you like to share your contact information um, with our listeners so that they are they know how to find you? Sure. You can reach me at phone number 419-530-4236. That's my office number. Mm -hmm. And my my right-hand person, my paralegal, Kimberly, will likely answer the phone. Um, she's great. And the my email address is robert.salem. Now, my last name is spelled S as in Sam, a-L-E-M as in Mary, at utoledo.edu. That's the letter U, T-O-L-E-D-O dot E-D-U. Beautiful. And we'll, we'll actually put that as well in the show notes so that uh, our, if our, any of our members or listeners want to get in contact with you, they can. So I want to thank 
uh, Professor Salem for joining me today for such an important conversation. And I hope that you've all gotten some great insight into this fascinating topic. I want to thank you, our listeners, for downloading, listening, and subscribing to the ACAR Home for All podcast. Be sure to check back with us for our next episode. And until we meet again, I hope that you are finding your very own meaning of Home for All.